Today's episode of the Ringer NBA Show is brought to you by Microsoft Teams. Hey, NBA Show fans, we all know meetings. Struggling to pay attention? Files seem impossible to find? We're secretly streaming the game on our laptop while nervously tapping our foot below the conference room table. And if you're not in a room, you're not in the know. Luckily, there's a solution for all the meeting-related issues that we constantly complain about. Welcome to the new slam dunk to work together, Microsoft Teams. Using Microsoft Teams is one play that's guaranteed to work every time, where you can contribute to meetings from anywhere, even on the court. Chat with coworkers so you're never out of the loop. Find all your files and even edit them in real time in one convenient place. The greatest NBA teams have mastered the art of communication and organization. When you're ready to unleash the power of your team, open Teams. Because meetings of the past are for rookies, right? There is nothing worse than having to go to a meeting at a time that you don't have to be there anyway. So, like, you have to go to some kind of early meeting when you wouldn't normally be there that early, and then you've gone to a meeting that probably wasn't even about you, and then you got to sit around for a long time. I'd give anything to have Microsoft Teams, because then I could just pull up my computer, and now I'm, I'm part of the meeting, and I don't have to be down at the office for the meeting that wasn't about me anyway. Learn more about how to improve your work efficiency at Microsoft.com slash Teams. That's Microsoft.com slash Teams. Welcome to the Ringer NBA show. I'm Chris Vernon, and this week we are still without Kevin O'Connor. He is planning to rejoin us next week, so please keep Kevin and his mom in your thoughts and prayers. And to help me get by this week once again is from the Ringer.com, Jonathan Charks. Charks, thanks for coming in, brother. Yeah, no problem. Uh, shout out, KOC. We miss you, man. We do miss you. Uh, yesterday was a very interesting day throughout the NBA. It started with this beautiful service for Kobe Bryant and Gigi Bryant. Um, and you saw Shaquille O'Neal speak. You saw Michael Jordan speak, Diana Taurasi. I mean, there were all kinds of uh, famous people that spoke and friends and family of his. And of course, his wife, Vanessa Bryant, which was heartbreaking to watch. Um, and the strength that she showed was rather impressive. Um, but a truly unbelievable celebration of life is what they showed it. And I even watched some more of it uh, that I had missed yesterday. They were running it this morning on NBA TV. And I got to tell you, Charks, it's been a couple of weeks now. And then still, even watching that service and them all talking, it, it still has not, at least with me, and I don't know how other people feel, it still doesn't feel real. Like it doesn't, like I, I, I don't know if it's the shock of it or even with them and that memorial, it, it just all seems so surreal. And there will come a time where, you know, there's just going to be this understanding that, yes, Kobe Bryant is no longer with us. But it's been a couple of weeks. And even watching that yesterday, it still didn't feel real to me. Yeah, I think it's just it's the age. You just yeah. don't expect. What was he? 41, 42, yeah. 42. I mean, you just don't, you you know, when someone dies who's a little older, you kind of expect that you repair yourself. But when a 42-year-old man dies, you just, there's no preparing for something like that. You just don't see it coming. And it just doesn't make sense. 
Yeah. They did an unbelievable job honoring their lives yesterday and celebrating their lives. And so hopefully for those that have been grieving for so long, they get somewhat close to closure. But I know if it if it doesn't feel real to me who had no personal connection with Kobe, I can only imagine what those that are, were very close to him um, and that Lakers organization uh, is still going through to this very day. Uh, there was or there were a ton of basketball games that were going on last night. And some very interesting things happened, not the least of which was Bradley Beal uh, making history uh, because he scores 50 points and he does it for the second night in a row. He's had 108 points in the last two games. They have lost both of those games. And last night they lost in overtime to the Bucks. He becomes the fourth player in NBA history to score 50 points and lose on uh, in, in consecutive games. You want to take a stab at the other three? We doing some more trivia, Chris? Yeah, take a stab at it. You had to <laughs> score 50 two games in a row and lose both of them. And look, uh, I'm hey, going to say Wilt. Wilt for sure, right? He's going to fit so often. He has to be on that list. Yeah, he, he averaged it. So, of course. Um, the other two, I actually think that there's going to be an audience out there that is able to rattle these off because these guys are the elite level scorers that get beat up the most. Well, Harden, right? He gets 50 a lot. Yeah. Okay. So that one was easy. And then who's the other one? Is it Kobe? No. Who's the other one that gets beat up? People say it's empty points. Current player. Was it Devin Booker? I don't know if he's a level <laughs> yeah, scorer. It is Devin Booker. There you go. Yeah. Those, those, are the, those are the three. Wilt, Harden, and Booker had done it before Bradley Beal uh, does it last night with 108 and two consecutive losses. Now, immediately after I tweeted something about this, I had some Wizards fans get sensitive, see, like, see, we knew that it was going to be, oh, meaningless points because it's a loss, right? Or people are going to poke holes in it like they do Devin Booker, like they do Harden, like they do whatever. And I'll say this, Beal to me is a different deal, as is Harden for that matter, because they have like really contributed to winning. Right. Like it's not like we haven't seen Bradley Beal. Like when when he and John Wall were both healthy, they went to the playoffs three of the four years. They were all three or three of those years, they were in the second round and they lost to the number one seed in a game six twice and a game seven once. And like in that game six and game seven, Brad Beal was like having like 38 point games. So I mean, th this guy has played you know, one step, two steps away from playing in Eastern Conference Finals, for goodness sakes. It's not like Brad Beal hasn't proven his worth as a guy that gets extremely meaningful points, right? But if, if you're losing 60 games, if you're losing, you know, 70 games a year, of course people are going to poke holes in your stats because, look, somebody's got to score. Um, that being said, Brad Beal is not one of those guys that I look at and I say, oh, yeah, well, he scores 50, but they lose, so who cares? Like, Brad Beal, he has nothing around him. I thought that team was going to be the worst team in the league by far when I looked at their roster to start this season. And they got 20, 20 wins, and Sharks, this is what's crazy. They've lost these three games in a row, two games that they squandered where he had 50-point efforts. I mean, Brooklyn is in a bad way right now. 
And they just lost again last night. And if you would have added, if, if they win these last two games and all of a sudden they're 22 and 34 instead of 20 and 36, they're certainly, you know, within striking distance and with a wounded Nets team, if you went on a run implausibly, that team would have a, you know, outside, very outside, but an outside chance at the playoffs, for God's sakes. I do remember. So they came to Dallas opening night. And it was like, this team is horrible. We were watching the game. Like, there's like undrafted free agents playing big minutes. Isaac Bonga starting. We were just like, wow. And I think if you look at this team since like the trade deadline, even like adding a guy like Shabazz Napier makes a real difference in Washington, considering he's replacing like Isaiah Thomas. Right. So just like the, that level alone really makes them a better team. And I, I mean... You're right. Well, it's possible with the Beal, way Beal's playing and the way Nets are playing. It's possible they're still in this race. Well, and aren't they a perfect example of just playing the odds, right? There's going to be the nights where, you know, this whole, and, and, and some people hate it, but the new wave of basketball, like, you know what they're going to do. They're going to play crazy fast. And if they can bang a lot of threes on you, then they're going to win their share of games. And it's just a, you know, it's almost like a, like they're, you don't know what kind of performance you're going to get. They could get run out of the building some nights. And then some nights they're going to have a chance to win just because they're racing up and down the floor. They're taking a ton of shots and they're taking a lot of threes. And so the nights that they make them, they're, I mean, the team having 20 wins is unbelievable to me. And it is, it speaks to the way they have played this. Also, Brad Beal's averaging 30 points a game. Bertans shoots a high Bertans, percentage. Yeah. Bertans, I mean, he takes eight threes a game and he shoots 42% taking them. Um, if I if I just said to you, hey, Charks, uh, we're going to line them up on a wall and I'm going to take Beal. I get the first pick. You get the second pick. You take Bertans. Their third leading scorer is Rory Hachimura. Is that the guy you would take third off of their team? Thomas I mean, there's not Bryant? a ton of options. Thomas Bryant? I mean, seriously, who is the third pick off of the Wizards? Well, let me look at this. Honestly, I can look at the roster. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, you can see why, you know, Bill was upset at the All-Star break. Like, you get why. Everyone was, like, making fun of him. But he's like, man, I'm balling right now. Y'all are just hating. Like, you get it. Okay, oh, this guy yeah. is one of, like, the best players in the league, and he's not well, in the All-Star I, game. I, well, you know, his agent sent out that big letter, the uh, Bartlestein's firm, saying that, you know, like, the last guy to average this most and not make – the all-star game was world be free in 1978 or whatever. So, I mean, it was rather historic that Brad Beal didn't make the <laughs> all-star team this year. And, and I get the whole rewarding winning, but like, look at this friggin' roster. This, I mean, they have four wins if he's not on that team. Yeah. And then they made a good point. I think the agent was like, well, now people get mad for guys stacking teams, but when you don't give a guy credit for being on a bad team and playing well, what else are you going to do? Right. That, that does make sense. Um, all right. So Brad Beal, unbelievable efforts, both in losses, and it was history last night. Now we need to talk about uh, some teams that are – I, I want to get your worry meter on, on a few. The first one is Utah. So they got, run, they got run out at home last night by Phoenix. Now to my point earlier about just shooting – a bunch of threes, and like there's going to be such variance every night. It was a great variant night for Phoenix because they were 12 for 20 from three. They shot 60% from three. 
They also sat 56% as a team from the field. Um, but it is not like Utah, especially who has been a very good second-half team uh, many years. It's not like them to get beat by 20 on their home floor. So where is the worry meter on Utah for you? Very, very high. So I watched the second half of that game, and what happened was the Suns blew it out when they played uh, Dario Sarch at the five. And that's the plan against Utah. If you can play a stretch five, you drag Gobert out of the paint, and then it's just the open run at the rim. Because I was looking at the Utah Jazz roster. So like, yeah, they play great defense. How many guys in that roster have plus size and speed for their position besides Gobert? It's basically none of them, right? You have Conley a little older, Bogdanovich a smaller four, Ingles a little older, Mitchell at the two is six foot one. But off the bench, you bring Jordan Clarkson, yeah. Tony you, Bradley, no, George I mean, Niang. No, your best, your be, and your best chance at guarding a wing, you know, outside of Ingles certainly proved his worth as a defender against Paul George a couple of years ago, but he's he has not been the same Joe Ingles as he was two years ago. Royce O'Neal? Probably yeah, O'Neal's best. their best defender. Yeah, yeah he, and, and after he, and, that, and he's out of the starting lineup now. Yeah, because all because they have Conley back. Like to me, I look at Utah, and this is a team built around a center who protects the rim. But then, like if you go small against Utah, like we'll talk about Embiid in a second. But if you go small against Gobert, what's the big deal, right? What's he going to do to you? Well, I mean, he has to punish you and go for like twenty-seven and thirteen, right? Like, I mean, but that's, he's not. That's not really his game, right? Like hitting you on the block like he's a roll man he catches lobs mainly he doesn't like post up three times to a hook shot very often well and to your point about being able to go small against them i mean it, it very well may be that there is a collision course once again for the jazz to play the rockets in the first round and that's if that the other is, thing to me yeah that matchup yeah. is terrible for them right and if that is so I mean, and that's two teams going in different directions. Houston's gotten on a roll. They've won four in a row. They've won eight of their last 10. Meanwhile, you've got Utah, who's lost three in a row and is four and six in their last 10 games. And I just think anybody that's watched it, the Conley thing has not worked. It just hasn't. And there's not that many games left in the season to figure this out. You and I opined last week that you know, as hard as it would be, especially with a guy that's in his, whatever, 14th year in the league, you know, maybe, you know, having another role player in that starting lineup and putting Royce O'Neal back in there and bringing Conley off the bench, that might be the most difficult decision to make, but maybe what is best for the team. I mean, somebody has to not need the ball because what it looks like now is all those guys are best with the ball in their hands. Obviously, you can throw Ingles in the corner and and you can get a bucket uh, from him. Uh, you know, if you just swing it over and he can hit a spot up three for you. But when you're talking about Donovan Mitchell and you're talking about Joe Ingles and you're talking about Bogdanovich, there's a lot of my turn stuff that goes on. And yet, when Conley was out of the lineup, and you know nobody loves Conley more than me, but when he was out of the lineup, they looked like last year's Utah team, except they added Bogdanovich. And Ingles looked back like himself, and Donovan Mitchell, you know, really exploded, and they started to look like last year's Jazz, the Jazz team that we thought was, was going to be a very, very, uh, a team that you don't want to see when it comes playoff time. And I know that last year, everybody just, stacked up on Donovan and made it hard on him. And now it looked like he had a little more scoring there. 
you just you've got to have guys that just keep the ball moving, guys that don't need the ball and are role players. And none of those guys outside of Gobert are role players that are in that starting lineup. Yeah, I mean, there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. And then, like, I'm looking at this Houston series. I think if you're Utah, realistically, you're going to have to outscore the Rockets because you're not going to stop them. If they can spread you out, attack your smaller guards with Harden and Westbrook, those guys are going to score. So then it becomes, okay, if you're getting, like, 60 from Harden and Westbrook, maybe Mitchell gives you 30, but like, can you count on Ingles or Conley to go bucket for bucket with Westbrook or Harden? It's going to be tough. Yeah, well, and I know, and I know this, and the Conley thing. Look, they didn't look right at the beginning of the season. You're like, all right, they're just going to figure this out. He had some really good games right before the All Star break, but that time in December, and I know people are going to say, well, their schedule lightened up. If you watched them, they just looked better. They looked a lot more like last year's team, and yeah, it's just like Chris, like it's the pieces, like with Mitchell especially. Mitchell's six foot one. And he's a streaky shooter and he likes to attack the basket. Like mm -hmm. he needs the ball in his hands going downhill. If he's playing off the ball, he's just less valuable and he's your best player. Therefore, he has to have the ball. Therefore, everybody else has to play off him. And then with Conley, okay, if Mitchell has the ball, you have a 6 1 2 guard. Like either way, it's tough. Well, and there's some guys that just like they are going to be what they're going to be if they've got the ball. And for 13 years, Mike Conley had the ball in his hands, right? And yeah. look, I mean, look. I, I just talked about it last week, Charks. How many people last year were saying, oh, Chris Paul ain't Chris Paul anymore. Chris Paul lost a step. And Chris Paul's, you know, got the worst contract in the league. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. Look at Chris Paul now. Like, the ball's back in it. Like, you know, he's, that's what he is. He's a pure point guard who, when the ball is in his hands, can really be a fantastic player. I mean, and he's not as good of a player off the ball. Um and having to go up against bigger, stronger guys that might be guarding him on occasion um, and playing that kind of ISO ball. And I think Conley's the same way. I think Conley's the same way, right? He's a guy yeah, that see, he's going to be at his best if the ball's in his hands. And you talk about Chris Paul, like my thought was maybe he wanted out of Houston for that very reason, you know? For much everybody said, oh, Harden wants Paul out. I could see Paul being like, this is no fun for me. I'm Chris Paul. I'm an elite Hall of Fame point guard. I don't want to spend the rest of my career spotting up the three-point line watching James Harden dribble. Like, this is kind of sucks. And so Maybe I wonder so. for Connolly, like, what's his thought process this summer? Everyone, I mean, yeah, it's a big, what's $30 million? Like, he's already made a trillion dollars. I don't know if he wants, does he want to come back and play off Mitchell the rest of his career? I don't know. I don't know. I think he wants to make $30 million. You think so? Yep. Um, I'll tell you this, speaking of Chris Paul, Watching them since we last spoke, watching them over the weekend, charts. I would not want to see that team in the playoffs because you get so many of these games that are nip tuck games, and they they showed the stats. I mean, his clutch performance is out of control, and it's not just offensive; it's defensive too. He was like first or second in steals in the last five minutes of close games. It's just like, okay, you've got your guy, I've got my guy, and my guy being Chris Paul, it can get me over the hump. And they can play big and they can play small. And Gilgis Alexander, you know, I don't That's get this. Guy. He's great. I, I tell you this, Charles, I don't get to see them enough. He just always looks so in control. He is a dynamite player. 
I mean, he's got the big size and he's he's got great vision. He is, boy. I, and I heard Bill and Rosillo talking about this to look back at that whole Paul George thing. And maybe the Paul George thing will add up to a championship, but to give up a million first round picks, Gallinari and that kid, because I don't know what the ceiling on him is, but he's already awesome. Yeah, like when I look at young players, one of the first things I look at is, okay, what are their weaknesses? And Gilles Alexander is one of the only young players in the league where like he can do everything. He can score, he can run point, he can stretch the floor, he can guard two or three positions, and he can rebound. And that gives you so much versatility. Here's the lineup number for you. So OKC closes games. Usually it's Paul Schroeder, Gilles Alexander, Gallinari, Adams. That's three point guards, stretch four, and then a five. Their net rating in 160 minutes. Just take a guess. What do you think it is? Okay, give me the lineup. Give me, give me the lineup again. Paul, how, how do you say his name? Is it Schroeder or Schroeder? I always mess this up. Schroeder. Okay, Paul Schroeder, SGA, Gallo, Adams. Oh well, I'm gonna imagine it's high because you're saying high, but high is like if you're plus ten, that's obviously outstanding. I'll say. Yeah, I'll just say an even number. I'll say like around plus 10. Plus 30. No. (laughs) I'm not joking. They're net rating? Plus 30. It's like one of the best lineups in the entire league. Wait, wait, do you how many minutes is that played together? 160. 160? And then it doesn't even matter. You can you if you slide in uh Nerlens Noel for Adams, they're like plus 25. Basically, those three point guards together. Paul Schroeder SGA is like one of the best three man lineups in the entire NBA. Well, and they close with that a lot. It's I mean every, it they is. close every single time they close with it basically. That's right. It's a it's a nightmare to match up with. It just is. I've I've seen it screw up many teams because you don't know you can't play who you would usually play in your crunch time lineup. You know, like they actually you unless you can punish them for doing it, which teams haven't consistently been able to find a way to punish them for doing that because obviously Paul and, and SGA can can stand up and, and guard whoever you want them to. They're willing to take on the task. And so unless you could punish them on the defensive end for for doing that and being small, they they dictate who you play and they usually get you into a situation where the lineup you're putting out there isn't nearly as devastating as theirs. Yeah, and that's for like with SGA, him being a six foot six point guard is so just major. Yeah, because that lets you play a that lets you play multiple point guards without giving up size, and that is such an advantage. In yeah, any so, situation. So we touched on those two teams. I mean, Oklahoma City's been on a nice little run here. They've won three in a row by virtue of Utah losing three in a row. Oklahoma City's only one game behind them. I mean, they could they could jump them. And then if I was the, Utah, I would get out of that Houston series at any cost. Whatever it takes to get out of that matchup, I think is good for them. Would you rather play? Well, I guess it, it's the Clippers now. I think it'll probably, when all said and done, end up being the Nuggets. So I think you're right. It, it, you, we'll we'll get some playoff jockeying there at the end. But and if you're Houston, I tell you this: you don't want to see Oklahoma City. That would be a that, crazy matchup. Well, that's that would be crazy. That's Paul's revenge. Westbrook back in OKC for a playoff series. Would be oh wild. my god! Oh my god! That would just be, yeah. I think if you're Utah, you definitely want Denver because if you're Utah, that matchup is totally different because yes. Denver's not going to go small against you. Their best player is Jokic, and then Gobert is one of the only guys in the league who can actually like guard Jokic. He's so freaking big because Gobert can actually contest his shot. 
that to me, if I'm Utah, yeah. I want Denver way more than Houston. Not even well, close. And usually these are kind of like the dog days of the NBA. But the truth is for so many of these teams, because of the parity in the leagues and so few games separating them, um, all the way from two until you get down to seven. I mean, that's only four and a half games separating them. You are, like, like we just noted with the, with the Jazz and the Thunder, you're a week away from being in a whole different world uh, seeding-wise. And so that's why all of these games end up mattering greatly because the seed that you get is going to matter greatly. Likewise, we have talked about that on the Eastern side. And last night, Joel Embiid has a career-high 49 points. Um, They are, right now, Philadelphia, sitting at the five seed and a half a game back from Miami, who... For the second time in a row, we have talked about them losing a regrettable game, a game that they'll wish they could have back. First, they had the 50-point game by Trey Young dropped on them in a game that, at the end, they could look back and say, man, we should have won that one. Last night will be another one. They were at a 22-point lead on Cleveland and end up losing that game. But we have talked about how much 4-5 and and home court advantage in 4-5. and can matter because we know Philadelphia's record at home has been devastating, whereas on the road they have been a radically different team. In fact, they've been a bad team. They're 9-20 and 20 on the road. Uh, so it matters greatly. It matters greatly what seed they get. Well, likewise, look, Miami's a losing team on the road. They're 13-18, and 18, which is a little bit better, but they're 23-3 and three at home. I mean, you've got a lot of these teams that have been awesome at home and you know, average to downright dreadful on the road. And you uh, want to talk about uh, matchups? If you're Miami and it's Philadelphia, you're going to play Bam on Embiid. Like, Embiid is so much bigger than Bam. It's crazy. That's, that's right. a tough matchup for the Heat. It also sets up an unbelievable Jimmy Butler versus the Sixers, if, if that is how that plays out. And, you know... Butler versus Ben Simmons, probably. Well, that's what we need to get to. Is it? Because there was news last night, and I never like news that doesn't have a timeline attached to it. And from all the reports I saw, there was no timeline attached to this. It was Ben Simmons is going to be out with a back injury. And it was kind of left open-ended as I read it. Isn't that how you read it? I mean, there was yeah, no... You know what I always say with... Uh, you know, back eyes on taller players. Simmons is six foot ten. Like he's basically a center size in his back. That's really troubling. Yes. And so he did not play in their game last night. And then uh and then they just said he they're doing further evaluation and he's gonna miss time. And they just left it undetermined. And so how long is it uh till he's back? Um, here's what uh, t- Tim Bontemps' uh, story said. As the Sixers and Ben Simmons management uh, teamwork with doctors to evaluate the course of action for the All-Star Guards injured back, Simmons is expected to be sidelined for an undetermined period of time, uh, said Adrian Wojnarowski. The anticipated length of time missed and next steps in remedying his back injury could be decided uh, as soon as Tuesday. So maybe we will get news later today. But he played less than five minutes in their loss to the Bucks on Saturday night, and then he left. And then he was described as emotional by sources after leaving the x-ray room. 
So it I says, mean, yeah, there's just there's no way to know really, right? Until yeah. something comes out. He also missed Thursday's overtime win uh, versus the Brooklyn Nets with lower back tightness. Oh, so he was already hurt. He comes back and he gets hurt again. Yeah. And the same injury, too, with the lower back. Yes. And the, according to this one, said that he was emotional after leaving the, uh, the x-ray room. So, I mean, I don't know. Typically, that doesn't mean you just got good news. I do think Philly is well-equipped, though. Like, they're, I mean, they survived without Embiid by having Simmons. And I, I don't think they'll fall too far without him. I think Embiid should be able to step up. When Embiid said that he was the best player... In the NBA, uh, we covered that in our last show. I mean, this is proving time, and at least uh, on that level, I know they got stomped by the Bucks in that matchup we had talked about happening over the weekend, but this is this is the time for uh, for Joel Embiid because he's going to have to carry them. Because Well, there, there was one sequence in that game last night that was funny. I was watching it. So Embiid gets the ball in the post, and he's playing with like four guards. And the ball goes from like one, two, three, four, and all four of them could shoot threes. And the defense actually rotated to all four players, and the ball got back to him. And I was like, "This is probably the first time that's happened, like ever in his life in Philadelphia." <laughs> well, this is, and I tell you this, Charks, this is going to be <laughs> the deal. I mean, you come out of the All Star break, and he had thirty nine and sixteen in that Brooklyn game that we talked about on Friday. Uh, he had 17 and 11, and they just got walloped in their Milwaukee game, and and he was not good. Um, but then he comes back last night, and he's got 49 and 14. I mean, the truth is, are, are we going to now? We, like, like now, you see, we saw earlier in the year. Remember when Embiid was out, and it was like, oh my god, look at Ben Simmons. This guy's putting up like 35 point triple doubles. I mean, he was killing it, and it's like, geez. He's better without him. Like you see both of these guys and they both end up being able to do more without the other one. And so now will be that will be the test. Ben Simmons is out of the picture. Nobody can talk about how it's not a great fit. Nobody can talk about how they get in each other's way. None of that crap. And if we see Embiid like routinely going for 35 and 15, you know, it's going to go a long way towards that discussion being ramped up even worse than it's always been ramped up. Do you think he'll make some comment about floor spacing? I feel like MB would definitely do that. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he has, he, he, I, look, he's a, cal- he's a smart guy. He's a calculated guy. <laughs> he knows exactly what would be the case if, if he does. But all I know is these, he's he played three games since the all-star break and He's gone for 39 and 16 and 49 and 14 in two of them. Now, I know they're against Brooklyn and Atlanta, but look, he's got now if 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 the time that Simmons is out is undetermined, we could be amping up for the full Joel Embiid. Okay, you said you're the best player in the league like every night you got to go out. And, and he's and, uh this weekend he's got both LA teams national television. Perfect, right? Perfect. Clippers on Sunday, Lakers on Tuesday. That's yeah. a little showcase games. So clearly, the the Simmons injury though is we we both it, while while it is not the ideal match, like they have to have him back. They have to now. They caught a little bit of a break in terms of their five right now, and 
you know, I guess they could drop down, but that's probably their floor because Indiana has been in a bad way, Charks. Um, I really liked this team midseason. They've only won three of their last 10 games, and now just a critical injury for Jeremy Lamb. Thoughts with him? Because, oh, yeah, brutal. I mean, he he just busted everything. Torn ACL and a lateral meniscus. Also suffered a fracture. I mean, just devastating. Um, now, for, for him, I guess on the bright side, he did sign a contract right before this past year. Um, but that is going to be very, very difficult to come back from. And obviously, that is he's been good for them this year. He's been good for them, and they have they've had a good season so far. And there were times where they really looked like, oh man, if they get Oladipo back into the mix, they could be trouble for somebody. But they have they've been in a bad way. They had that one off win, you know, uh, against Milwaukee. Um, and then they turn around and won, uh, beat the Knicks. But, I mean, they just, you know, that Sunday game against Toronto, they got beat by friggin' 50 points. It's yeah, ridiculous. That was the game Lamb got hurt, I think. Yeah, I feel so bad for him. I've always liked Jeremy Lamb. He had a really tough draw to his career. So he was one of the main pieces in the Harden trade. So in OKC, he never had a chance. Everyone's like, you're not James Harden, which is totally unfair for any young player to be compared to. Right. Then he goes to Charlotte. He kind of gets himself together, becomes a really good, well-rounded two-guard. But they're a terrible team, so he's no one really talks about him. Now he's finally on a good team, having one of the best years of his career. He's 27, prime of his career, and his whole knee is just shot. So now he's out at least a year and a half, probably. So then he'll be like 29, 30, and now he's on the downside of his career. So he just lost the best year of his career. That's just horrible, man. Yeah, horrible. And I feel, I feel terrible for him, and obviously it's a tough... Tough blow because he is a rotation player for sure for Indiana. And sometimes, and we'll see how they how they do without him, but sometimes those are those are the ones that aren't necessarily uh paid great attention to. And around the league, people might be like, oh, well, they lost Jeremy Lamb. They should still be able to be just fine, right? But sometimes those injuries can really be the ones that are hard to overcome. I remember a couple of years ago, right when uh, 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 Andre Roberson went out, and you know their defense took a big dip in Oklahoma City without him, um, and he never came back. Which, by the way, he sake. hasn't played. It's been two and a half years. That's right. No, he never came back. He, uh, but the other one is uh, the other one is the one in your town, Dallas, right? Nobody thinks about uh, Dwight Powell. Right. And like they, and I yeah, know they yeah. just lost, and they just lost another one in Jalen Brunson, but like the Dwight Powell injury hurt. And that's all I'm saying. Right. Like the Jeremy Lamb thing, it's not a huge star. So it's not going to make a ton of waves. And there's not, and there's never a, a boatload of conversation about Indiana anyway. But those are the kind of injuries that can end up being crucial. Yeah. It's, it's all about the roles on the team. Yep. And then you look at Lamb, he's a 6'6 wing who can defend and shoot. And like everyone needs players like that. And not only can do that, he can also create his own shot. So like that kind of player, he just fits into a lot of lineups. And when you start trying to replace him, it's like, okay, now we're either going to play much smaller guards. We're going to play guys who can't like, you're going to play Aaron Holiday, who's about a half foot shorter. You're going to play Justin Holiday, who can't really create his own shot. Or you're going to play Doug McDermott, who can't defend. And that kind of weakness just kills a team, especially Indiana, with Odebo not playing that well. They're a team that was like the sum of its parts, right? All the guys are fitting together and kind of overplaying their talent. But now one of their main little parts is out. 
and they don't really have anyone who can replace him. Sharks, throughout the season, there has consistently been nothing positive ever you read about the Clippers. It's the damnedest thing because they are, right now, they have the third best record in the Western Conference, and yet everything about them has been like negative news this year. It's very strange, right? It's always about load management or it's about it's these disturbing quotes from the locker room or from Doc Rivers or it's about chemistry or it's whatever else. And yet here they are at 38 and 19, one game back from being the two seed in the Western Conference. I mean, while last they night... They got your guys last night pretty bad. Uh, Oof. That, and how about this one? It's their 29th lineup. They ran out there. It's the most in the NBA. And they're like, that is not usually indicative of a team that's 38 and 19. <laughs> right. And I know that they had had a losing streak and they got beat up by the Kings over the weekend. And so they have given reason for people to watch them and get paused. But obviously with the Grizzlies playing them last night, I settled in to watch it. They started off that game 35 to nine and Look, Did you still watch the rest after that or just go to bed? I made it to the fourth. You're a professional, man. I'm, I'm impressed. I made it to the fourth. It was a late fourth. night for you. I made it to the fourth. Well, because they, they, there were some new guys that were going to get to play. Jordan Bell was going to get his first minutes, and maybe some other guys were going to get to play. But, I mean, the Grizzlies, who are having to start Brandon Clark, who you love, and I was super excited to see how he would perform in this spot. After three minutes, he goes out with a hip injury. So they lost Jaron Jackson Jr. They start Brandon Clark, and Brandon Clark, gives them three minutes and then he's out for the game and they started off uh, 35 to nine to start that game which leads the league as we said they've added Marcus Morris they've added Reggie Jackson and they got 25 games left but I'm I'm here to tell you Charge, when push comes to shove and it gets playing time I just I honestly just roll my eyes at all of the you know Oh, the something's wrong with the Clippers. The Clippers don't have something's off. Something's wrong with them. But I, I mean, I really do because you've watched them when it's gotten like the big, big games, like the Laker games this year, and you've seen when both of these guys are healthy, Kawhi and George, and now they've added this other stuff. When they are fully stocked and fully healthy, which they have not been all year, they are devastating. Chris, like, look at this bench, the second unit. It's Reggie Jackson, Lou Williams, Landry Shamit, Jamichael Green, Montrez Harrell. That's their second unit. I know. They're devastating. But I was thinking about, I was thinking about that. So one thing someone on the Clippers told me the other day, they said, the Clippers were the team everybody wants to play for if you're a basketball player in LA. Like, we're the team for the guys who want to hoop and not worry about all the nonsense. And I'm looking at Reggie Jackson. Why is he not on the Lakers? The Lakers could use Reggie Jackson so badly, right? like a point guard to create his own shot, run the offense when LeBron's out of the game. He could have a huge role in the Lakers, but he chooses to go to the Clippers, play with Lou Williams, all these guys who need the ball in their hands. He's like their sixth guard. I mean, look, they're injured all the time and they got guys sitting out for rest and whatever else, but I, I don't know. Like they got Beverly and George back in their lineup last night. They add Marcus Morris, who's obviously a tough dude, um, into their mix and can be helpful. I just, I don't know, man. Like for They're all stacked, the, man. I know for all They're the negative, it's all it's all this negative news and all this downplaying them. But my God, when you see them in their version healthy, bro. I mean, they you look at that because they they'll throw the like they'll they'll throw Kawhi Leonard on John Morant, and then they'll put you know Pat Bev 
on your two guard, or you remember, like, you know, <laughs> I mean, he was guarding LeBron in that game on Christmas, for yeah, God's yeah. sakes, on the last possession. I mean, when you've got Beverly, George, Kawhi out there as a mix, and they're rotating, and they're switching, I mean, God. It's and you have Montrez at the five. I mean, it's Morris. Awful. So you it's have four, six, seven wings <laughs> who can all guard. Then three of them can all really shoot. Kawhi and George can pass. Morris can create his own shot. Like that lineup, and you compare them with the Lakers. The st- First off, like you go back to those Lakers Clippers games, what stood out to me was, oh, Kawhi's better than LeBron now. That's what I, my first big realization watching that. It's like, no, it's not even close. Kawhi can guard LeBron. LeBron can't guard Kawhi anymore. So if that's the first thing, you got the edge up top and you have the edge in depth, it's going to be tough for the Lakers, I think. Well, but it is the Davis thing. That's the question, right? He, he has to he be can, awesome. Because, well, no, and he has to be awesome, but he is, like, all the time. He's awesome. <laughs> and, and they run that LeBron Davis pick and roll. Like, you don't have, you're never going to be uh, greatly equipped to deal with him, you know? And the other thing is Paul George has got to show up big in playoffs. Like that has to happen because that has not been commonplace over the course yeah, of the season. Yeah, see, his Chris, career. with the Lakers, what I've been thinking about them, I feel like at some point in the playoffs, it has to become AD's team. Like right now, I feel like it's still LeBron's team. LeBron's still the main guy with the ball in his hands, the primary playmaker. Yeah, but that's the offense. I don't it has know. to be Davis. I don't know, man. Like throughout the year, watching them, I mean, Davis is the he's the bigger problem. On a, on a regular basis, I mean, they both they take about the same amount of field goals. Uh, LeBron's at 19, Davis is at 18. But, I mean, it's all those two, and you know you get to the last five minutes of the game. I mean, think back to that Celtics game we watched over the weekend. Do you remember almost anything anybody else did, you know, in, in big spots? Then, like, with the, with the Celtics, you remember Jalen Brown hitting the shot. You remember Gordon Hayward missing the layup. You remember they couldn't get the ball to Tatum. With the Lakers, like, Almost everything you remember is Davis James related. I mean, that's what they do. They go to that. It's their bread and butter, and they're devastating. To me, the number to watch is Davis's assists. So he's actually dropped from last year. He was at 3.9 career highs at 3.3. To me, like the best version of the Lakers is if Davis is scoring, he's getting doubled, and he's kicking out to somebody else. That to me is like, that's the attitude to win a championship. Is I need Davis creating shots for other people and not LeBron doing it. Does that make sense? Yep. I think that's what I'm watching for because what's going to happen in the playoffs in that LeBron Davis pick and roll, Clippers are going to switch that. So it'll be either Kawhi or Paul George on Anthony Davis because they'll put Montrez on LeBron on the switch or Morris even. It's like, can Davis score on those guys so effectively that the Clippers send doubles? And when they send doubles, can he find the open shooter quickly enough? That, to me, is the Lakers' best chance to win. Well, the key for the Clippers, obviously, with 25 games left, is just to end up being a two or three seed. That's it, right? Because you can't can't be in that four seed and have to play the Lakers in the semis. But if they are, it is hard to imagine that it's not an all-L.A. Western Conference Finals. Yeah. I mean, I'll say you, this as like you never, a, as a well, like, fan. You, you never know who's going to get injured, right? Like, look, if if God forbid something happened to LeBron, something happened to Kawhi, something happened to Anthony Davis, it's a it's a totally different trajectory for these team seasons. And so, yes, they would be able to get picked off, but all healthy as long as they are two or three, 
uh, I think it stands to reason those two would be on a collision course because none of the others, whereas in the Eastern Conference, you could see somebody that is four or five, especially if it's Miami or Philly. If I told you those teams, you know, were in a seven game series or knocked off uh, Milwaukee and or, you know, obviously if they're uh, or Toronto, um, if one of those teams knocked them off and ended up in an East finals, it wouldn't be shocking. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? I mean, like any of these four and fives, I, I, Houston, Utah, Dallas, the teams that we talked about, right? Or you, Oklahoma City. Like Oklahoma City might be the one, I, I'm not kidding, that I would want to see the least. I'm serious, in, in like a semis round. Like that may be the team. That may be the team I want to see the least. I don't want to play against them if I don't have to. I'd rather play the other teams. Um, yeah, it's funny to talk about matchups. Like as a Mavs fan, like if they play the Clippers, forget about it. I remember there was a game early in the season when the Mavs were really rolling. It was like national TV, and the Clippers put Kawhi on Luca, and they put Paul George on Luca, and it was like, oh my gosh, it was just an <laughs> absolute beatdown. <laughs> It was like, okay, there are levels to this NBA game where like the Mavs are playing well, but there's a whole different level out there. All right, Charks, we'll get right back to it. First, I want to remind everybody, today's episode brought to you by Postmates. When you need red wine at 4 p.m., sushi at 9 p.m., a breakfast burrito at 8 a.m., and ibuprofen at 10 a.m., Postmate it. Postmates is your personal food delivery, grocery delivery, whatever kind of delivery service all year round. Anything you're craving, Postmates can deliver. They're the largest on-demand network in the United States and offer delivery from all the restaurants, grocery, and convenience stores and traditional retailers you could possibly want or need. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, Postmates will bring you what you need within the hour. No more trips to the store. You don't even have to know where the store is. Postmates will deliver anything to you. Download the app on iOS or Android for free. Browse local restaurants and businesses and track your delivery in real time. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use the code RINGERNBA. That's code RINGERNBA for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it. Postmate it. Download the Postmates app and save with code RINGERNBA. All right, let's. Uh, I do want to mention one young player while all the talk. Oh, well, speaking of the Lakers, we do need to mention monster game going on tonight on TNT. And we were going to get to see Zion and LeBron on the same court as it's gonna be fun. New, New Orleans. Uh, you know, look, they need every win like blood the no, rest which, of the way. Which, by the way, that could be the 1 8 series, LeBron, uh, Lakers, Pelicans, way it's looking right now. It absolutely could. Um, and those, t- and they need, but. But New Orleans needs every single game. Like they need to they need to be winning some games that they're not even favored to win like tonight. Um because they've got ground to make up. Like and I talked about this throughout the year. It's just it's hard to make up ground. Sometimes it takes a unless you have a a week where you win every game and the other team that you're trying to track down, you know, loses every game. It you know, and that's usually not the way it goes with teams going on win streaks and losing streaks simultaneously. It takes two, three weeks. 
sometimes to make up ground, even three, four games. And right now, the Pelicans are three games back from the Grizzlies for that eight seed, and they are a half game back from but you know what You know what helps, though? When the two teams above you, two of their best players are hurt. Makes it a lot easier. Oh, that is for certain. Um, because the Grizzlies without Jaron Jackson Jr., the Portland Trailblazers uh, without Damian oh, Lillard. They got the Lakers twice the next week. I didn't realize that. They play Lakers on Tuesday and again on Sunday. That's going to be really fun. I cannot wait. I can't wait to see. Because look, I've talked about this throughout the year. The, the Zion thing is just outrageous. It's seriously, you watch it and it's like some Marvel superhero has been dropped on the court amongst nine guys. Like he just rips the ball away from like big man. It's like playing against your kid or something. You know what? So I watched a bunch of his games for Arc I did today. Really, the only game all year he had trouble was Milwaukee when he went up against Giannis. That was the one guy who's been able to guard Zion. But hey, but there's that clip you saw. If you go watch, you, you can see that clip. Giannis grabbed the ball, he ripped that shit from Giannis like it was nothing. He yeah. just yanked so, it from over his head like it was like he was dealing with a child. And so I can't wait to see him and LeBron. Oh, I wonder it'll be him and Davis, right? I would think Davis have to guard him more than LeBron. Yeah, but I want to see the visual of him next to LeBron. Because LeBron... I mean, it is an often as a guy's bigger than LeBron and stronger. No, I think... Well, look, this is what I, I've told people this. Like, LeBron is one of those guys that you need to see in person to fully appreciate. He is just... He is huge. A huge human. His shoulders are so broad. He's just... You you can't believe he does the stuff that he does at his size. And now Zion is like a friggin' super LeBron. Zion's coming to Dallas in like two weeks. I'm like, I'm clearing my schedule. I don't care what I got going on. I'm going to that one. <laughs> no, and now I can't. I, I just, I want to see the visual of him side by side with LeBron. Because they are both, I, I you know, we've never seen it. And they are both just such enormous humans. But Zion's like, unlike anything we've ever seen. And I'm, I mean, God, if he ripped the ball away from LeBron or something like he did from Giannis, I'd lose my mind. <laughs> he is, I mean, he's averaging 24 points and it's like 59% from the field. He's immediately awesome. Yeah. And then like, I'm looking at the numbers. So in that Milwaukee game, he was five for 19. Every other game he's played against, it's like 80% shooting basically. So unless you have <laughs> one of those like superhuman and that's what I want to see from Anthony Davis. Like, I want to see if Davis can shut down a guy like Zion. Because that's what I think you need from the Lakers, too, is you want Davis to be at that level, to be at that Giannis level where, like... Because, like, with most of the guys Zion plays, it just... Like, Zion only has one move right now. It's always to his left hand. It's like two dribbles just dunks on you. And Giannis is the only guy I've watched all season who's like, no, you're not just going to dunk on me. You have to actually have counter moves. You actually have to have finesse to your game. Because I'm so big and strong and you can't just dunk on me. I want to see if Davis is at that level where he can push Zion back. Can't wait to watch that game. And I do want to mention one other rookie before we get out of here today because it was an explosion for Kevin Porter Jr. Uh, for Cleveland, who you'd imagine will get a lot of minutes now that uh, Beeline's gone, J.B. Bickerstaff took over. You know, new coaches always end up playing different guys more. Um, and so maybe this is a sign that Porter's going to get some. That he is... Such a fascinating proposition. He is one of the first guys that I ever mentioned to KOC out of that draft class because he was listed as one of the guys in the draft class. I went and I looked him up, and when I watched him on YouTube and the high school stuff, I came back on the air, and I'm like, 
Like I'm I'm watching all these guys, and like this guy, he does stuff that the others don't. Like he is some kind of a freak athlete. He's got some moves. He's smooth with the left hand. And then he had just such a troubled season. He ended up getting suspended from USC. I he think didn't multiple even, times. He didn't even yeah, start for most of the season. He, yeah, and he and he didn't get to play it out um, at all. And then it was virtually unanimous, I will tell you, Charts, when I called around about the draft that people were really worried about, you know, the professionalism. How is he going to be when you put him into a, uh, into a situation, you know, um, because there were off the court things um, that were real, uh, it were, it were people really questioned the maturity level and everything else. But I, I kept going back to, man, if the kid does mature and he does figure it out, just skill wise and athleticism wise, this guy has a real chance to be special, and he he does way more spectacular things in my estimation than a lot of people that are going to be drafted ahead of him, and. I've not heard of any problems with Kevin throughout his rookie year so far. Um, and last night, like anybody can go back and watch those highlights and you see it. I mean, it's step backs. It's big threes in crucial moments. It's driving to the basket, quick first step. I mean, if that kid figures it out, he is, he is one that could easily be looked back upon a, as a guy that was drafted entirely too low. Yeah, I mean, if you look at a guy who's a six foot five, two hundred ten pound two guard who can dribble and shoot threes off the dribble, and he lasts until thirty, like then you know something else is going on. And and like looking at that game, looking at the Cavs, I'm kind of wondering now. At some point, do you have to make him your starting two guard? Because they've been starting Garland and Sexton all season, and it hasn't worked. It's two really small six foot one point guards. To me, at some point, a guy with Porter's tools. He's got to be a starter, right? Well, I just never, I never understood the taking Garland after Sexton thing anyway. I'm, but I'm a big Sexton fan, you know? Yeah, I, I think they said Sexton's not a point guard. We're getting another one. That was my thought when they did that. Yeah, but I mean, what is a point guard now? Is Damian Lillard a point guard? Uh, someone who passes more than like, gets more than like two assists a game. I know he's got three assists, by the way. Three. <laughs> He also averages. I mean, he also he's also in his second year on a rat team. He's averaging twenty points a game, and he shot forty six percent from the field and thirty seven percent from three. The yeah, Colin he's, a, Sext- he's a two guard. I know, but the, fine. But the Colin Sexton getting beat up this year, then make him McCollum, right? That's fine. But are you expecting Gar- Garland is going to be the Lillard type because Garland has been miserable this year, and I know he didn't get to play last year in college, but. Of those two players, one of them has been much better than the other one. It's just one of those things. Like, if Sexton's not going to be a point guard and he's going to be your two, and then you have a, a two who's six foot five, two ten, as opposed to like six one, one ninety, the bigger two is going to have the advantage. That's what it comes down to: is like finding I, a role for him. I, I'm with it. I'm just saying, the, if you thought you were going to get Garland and Sexton, and that could be your Lillard, McCollum, whatever, Garland doesn't pass the ball either. Charks. That's the problem with drafting <laughs> two small guards to don't pass. <laughs> OKC, I think OKC passing on SGA for Sexton that could be like one of. I mean, not Cleveland passing on SGA that could be one of like the big swing points in this draft. Looking back on it, that was a huge miss. I, I all right. Well, I'm the one with the Colin Sexton stock, and I think you're going to look up and 
there will be people that you will say passed on Sexton that it wasn't all that wide. Let this stuff play out. He's only played two years in the league. I love what Sexton brings to the table. He is a dog, an absolute dog. And those guys, when they've got the work ethic to go along with it, Sexton's, I think Sexton's going to have an outstanding career. I do. I still believe in him. I would like him in like a Kendrick Nunn role. If he could play with a big point guard like Jimmy Butler, and then he could guard point guards and not be a playmaker. I think that's probably what makes most sense for him. But it's hard to find a big 6'7 guy who can run point for you. Yeah. Well, and now, I mean, you see with, with Kevin Porter, it's one night, right? Uh, but it was just we, the reason we wanted to mention it is because there is stuff there with him. It's not like he's had some kind of amazing season, but he also hasn't had a disastrous rookie season either. And he is a guy that I could see taking a leap, you know, next year or the following year. Um, I, I think to me with Cleveland, they just got to find someone who like passes the ball. It's really hard in a rebuilding team if you have one guy who creates shots for other people. Whether it's Sexton, Garland, Porter, one of those guys has got to be a playmaker. If that doesn't happen, you got a bunch of guys just jacking shots in a bad team forever. Well, and they've been a bad team all season long. That is for sure. And all their vet, you know what I mean? Like it would have been nice to have a veteran to do that. They don't have any. You know what I mean? That's what happens though, Charks. When you're when your big guys are Kevin Love and and Andre Drummond now, but it's been Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson and Larry Nance, and it's like none none of the guys that have any years in the league are the ones that are expected to like run the offense like ever. You just talked about in that last show how it was nice for them to add uh, Jeff Teague in Atlanta. Like, why can't you just add somebody that can right keep the ball moving or get out there and show these guys, you know, and and nights where they don't have it or nights that they need lesson learned, but they've got all young guards. Yeah, I'm looking at their their stats. They got no one averaging four assists a game. That's kind of miserable. Well, there's nobody young. They're, like the, the the other guy they had was Jordan Clarkson. He's never been known for being a regular. Yeah, another guy got to get his yeah. shot for sure. Yeah, he doesn't he's not Bob Cousy himself. <laughs> um, all right. Last thing, we are now uh, careening towards the um, uh, the conference uh, tournaments that are going to go on in college basketball. We're coming towards the end of the regular season, which will lead in the conference tournament. People do start to amp up and watch a lot more college basketball down the stretch. Give me a couple of names that are worth going out of my way to watch. You think we have chronicled okay. many times this draft is has gotten just beat to hell at the top with either guys not playing college basketball. Uh, in the case of the kid um, Halliburton from Iowa State getting injured, I mean Anthony Davis might not or Anthony Edwards. I'm sorry, might not be playing in the uh, in the conference or he'll be playing in the conference tournament, but probably won't be. He in only the playing SEC in the NCAA tournament, tournament. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So give me a couple that might be worth going out of my way to watch. Okay, actually, I got a story coming out on Thursday on The Ringer about two sleepers I like a lot in this draft. And Perfect. It's uh, Josh Green at Arizona and then Cassius Stanley at Duke. So they're both 6'6 wings who are extremely athletic, who can shoot threes and have some ball handling ability and a little feel for the game. They're both guys who are in smaller roles on their teams. So like, there are nights where those guys don't do a lot and you're kind of like, what's the big deal? Because they're playing with like star college point guards. And they play off the ball. But if you're looking for guys who can fill a role in the NBA, a little bit like Kevin Porter, 
these are two really big two guards who can shoot it, who are pretty athletic, who can play defense, and who have some feel to their game. They're probably not going to be primary guards at the next level, but they're guys who, if, they, if you run them off the line, they can dribble and pass someone else. I think those are two guys who, if you catch them on the right night, you see a six-six guy stroking threes and dunking on people. Like, oh, this guy's going to be a star. They're not having that kind of role in their college teams. One plays for Arizona, one plays for Duke. So they're probably like the second or third best players in their college teams. But they had the kind of tools that I think in an NBA setting be more valuable. Yeah, I'm looking here at I pulled up Stanley. Numbers are good. 49% from the field, 54% from two, 37% from three, you know, 73% from the line. Yeah, he, uh, he broke he had, Zion's vert record at Duke. He's like a 45 inch vertical. One he's 12 points and five rebounds a game. Yeah, and he's he gets he gets steals. Yeah, he's not projected, you know, crazy high. Um, on yeah, because I think at Duke, Duke's best players are point guard Trey Jones, and they have like a traditional big man in Vernon Carey. So he's like your third option. So there are games where he doesn't do anything. It's like who cares? But I think you look at his like skill set and his tools. That's the guy I think in the NBA will be more valuable. If that makes sense. Yeah, he was a. I'm looking back, four star kid coming out of high school. Certainly, LA guy. He might have played at uh, at Sierra Canyon. Actually, I have to go look. I think he might have. Looks like he was thirty. He's thirty seventh. He did play at Sierra Canyon. Yeah, he's the 30... one knock on him is he's older. He's like already twenty years old for a freshman. That's kind of like the big. Okay, he's a little like playing behind his age. But to me, he's a very polished. He's a very polished player too for a guy a freshman. He's a little older, but that's my guy. I like him. Well, a lot. there was there was another guy that was a little older. Uh, and you know what's funny. For whatever reason, I know he's a little bigger than that, but it conjured up when you were talking about him. He, the description reminded me a little bit of Rodney Hood when he was there. They're both lefties. So yeah. I thought of that too. He's a lefty. He's not the same level of shooter as Hood, but he's more athletic and he's a little smaller. But they're both lefty two guards at Duke. All right. And the Arizona kid, what was the name again? Josh Green. Josh Green. Okay. I'm going to go out of my way because oh, the, and Arizona's got a kid that's could very well go in the lottery too, right? With um, That's the thing. It's Nico Manning. Mannion. Yeah. So like Manning gets all the publicity because you watch him. He's the point guard. He has the ball in his hands the whole game. He's a great passer. So he kind of gets all the shine, but he's not, doesn't have great athletic ability for a point guard, only an average shooter. So to me, I think Green's actually the better NBA prospect, even though Manning's a better college player. Yeah, Green was huge high school kid. I mean, he's McDonald's All-American. He was ranked eighth. In the ESPN 100, so I mean he he certainly had his accolades as a he's an IMG kid. He's kind of the reverse of RJ Hampton. He's an Australian kid who went to the US to play basketball. He's from Australia originally. Yeah, I'm seeing this. Uh, how about this one? I, it, it's a story uh, by uh, Jeff Borzello that was written. My God, 278 days ago. So I mean, a long, long time ago. There's a whole documentary on him. Oh, really? On ESPN. Josh Green, born to ball. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> That's awesome. There's a whole, there's like five episodes. And then it says Josh Green, oh, Austra Australia's newest basketball star. How about you that? You gotta love when a, I love when a mid first round picks already got a documentary series. No, it's I about him that. going from Australia to uh, Braden in Florida and then signing yeah, with Arizona. IMG, yeah. Yeah, he's been on the circuit for a long time. I think I saw him at like basketball on the borders three years ago. So he's been around for a while. He's got the tools. He's just, he's more of a streakier shooter than uh, Stanley, but he's got the tools. He actually passed pretty well too for a two guard. I think he's like at three or four assists. Charks, I can't thank you enough for filling in again uh, this week. And I will talk to you again on Friday.
All right, cool. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for uh, paying your debts. I appreciate yeah, that. I did. You're a man, I did. Of, you're a man of your word, Chris. <laughs> uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to another <laughs> episode of the Ringer NBA show. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars, five stars. It really helps. Thanks to Bobby Wagner for producing again. And we will talk to you on Friday.